fool, let the fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face. Scope on the flag and light it up. Yeah, you think you're tough. We'll try that in a small town. See how far you make. Yes, sir, and welcome to the Man on Second podcast on Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Frasaro, joined by co-host and producer Dave D'Agostino. As always, our mission on the channel is to raise the baseball IQs of our audience. We will certainly do so today with a, with a former big league player, Wes Helms. Wes and I go way back. Wes, Wes used to play for the Marlins, of course. I've known Wes a real long time. I really look forward to this conversation we're going to have in a few seconds. But before we bring in Wes, Dave, uh, do you have any announcements? Yeah, I just want to uh, continue to thank the support of our audience, 50,000 subscribers now, 74 countries, grassroots MLB front offices. Your support has helped us become the the newest streaming podcast on iHeartRadio. So thank you for that. We'll keep bringing you great content every week as long as you keep helping us battle the analytics of the podcast world, just like we do in baseball. Uh, make sure you, after this show, download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. Give Joe five stars. Write a couple nice comments under there uh, about the show. And if you have questions, feel free to put them under there. We'll, we'll make sure they get on the show and or get answered back on social media. So uh, we've got a real, real good, sophisticated audience. I think they're going to eat this show up because there's there's going to be good baseball talk. There's good training talk. And uh and obviously with the, the stories in in between. So Joe, with that, I'll let you let you get with our special guest today. Yeah, thanks, Dave. And yeah, this is this is a fun one. You know, whenever we could bring in someone with this much knowledge, experience, and just one of the really good guys that the industry has had and produced. Uh, Wes enjoyed a 13-year MLB career. Uh, started off with the Braves. He had stops with the Brewers, Marlins, and the Phillies. Um, he also managed at the AAA level with the Charlotte Knights and the White Sox uh, organization. And and then, then doing some prep. I know Wes a long time, but I didn't realize Tommy Helms is uh, Wes's uncle. So those of us who remember Tommy Helms as a playing days. So uh, obviously baseball in the blood, in the in the Helms family. Uh, these days, Wes is, uh, well, along with being a father, a husband, and uh uh, doing what he does. He's the CEO of Camwood Bats. We'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit, but let's welcome in Wes Helms. Wes, uh, thanks for joining us, buddy. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, Wes, kind of catch people up, you know, since you, you stopped, you know, what have you been doing recent years and and just kind of get people up to speed? Uh, yeah, you know, my last year of playing was 2011. Once I got out of playing, you know, I have had three young kids. Um, you know, now they're older. I, you know, Wesley is now a junior in college. Uh, Stella, my daughter, is a senior in high school. And then I have Waylon that's an eighth grader. And, um, you know, I helped coach the high school, local high school here in Birmingham where my kids uh, eventually went to high school. I helped coach on the baseball coaching staff just to kind of get – you know, my baseball kick out after playing, you know, I, you know, I missed the game so much. I wanted to have something to do. And then uh, 2018 went back into coaching into the pros. Um, I was with the AAA uh, Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs in 2018. And then I joined the White Sox organization in 2019 where I was in AA. And then, of course, COVID hit. And then after COVID, I managed uh, – the AAA for the White Sox Charlotte Knights. And now I'm home. Um, I wanted to be home for my daughter's senior year. Um, you know, I went out and tested the professional coaching 
sad and I realized that, you know what, I just, I was gone for my whole life playing. This just isn't for me. And now I am um, the CEO of Camwood Bats. So, you know, I'm still involved in baseball with uh, MLB game bats. Uh, we have training bats, but it also keeps me home with the family. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. I remember in, in 2020, uh, you know, West, my my son now he's a, he's a scout with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and in and during the COVID year, uh, it was either 21, I guess it was when when it came back up. Uh, my son was on assignment, and he actually lived in in Charlotte for four months, and he was scouting the Carolina League or whatever it was called then. So my wife and I went up, and we were at one of your games. But I couldn't get down and see you. I was like trying to see you and like kind of surprise you and say hello. But we saw you play that night and, uh, you know, with the Knights. And and you had one, a guy I covered in, Tehran Guerrero, was one, I believe, was one of your pitchers yes. there. I, yeah, I yes. covered Tehran when he was with the Marlins. He's like about eight feet tall and he throws like 100 miles an hour, a big reliever. Uh, but uh, but those are fun times. So um, obviously, baseball people are gravitated to to still staying in the sport. Wes, where do you kind of see the see the game at right now? It's a, you know, obviously it evolves and and you know analytics is more so. Where, where are you seeing the game right now in terms of its, you know, development, entertainment value, uh, you know, the way the instruction that the players are getting and so forth. Um. So basically, I kind of straddle the fence on both sides. Uh, I think the game is very entertaining today when it comes to you know it's a bigger, stronger, faster game. Guys are consistently, of course, throwing harder on the mound. They're consistently hitting more homers, you know, hitting balls further. I mean, it's a power game now. It's a power game on the mound. It's a power game at the plate. Um, I'm, I'm really glad to see the stolen bases coming back this year. Uh, I did not like it when stolen bases got down. I thought that was a huge part of an offense to try to get in scoring position for the hitter at the plate. Um, I think that brings a lot of value to a team. It also brings a lot of value to a player when they can get to second base um, or even get to third base for the hitter at the plate. Um, I don't like the way the game's being played today on a fundamental standpoint. I think – I don't know this for sure as far as like organization, organization, I think. But as a whole, I don't think the game is being taught – to these young minor leaguers when they're in rookie ball, A ball, you know, either low A, high A, double A, they're not being taught the fundamental parts of the game that help you win. Uh, they're all, they're only taught more of the measurables, you know, like, you know, sinking the body up so you can get more power and let's do this, let's do that. When it's, you know, I don't think the team aspect of the game is taught like it used to. It's more individual based. They have these hitting laps for the hitters, the pitching laps for the pitchers. I think it's more individual player based now than it used to be because when I came up, you know, you you were taught the game through and through. You know, you knew the game within the game. You knew fundamentals, situations. I mean, the situations that happened in the game were, you know, you perform them with cleanliness. You know, now I see, you know, cut all uh, double cuts, tandem relays in the big leagues that are getting botched like left and right consistently. I see you know, pop-up communication is not clean. I see, you know, just just the situations that happen in the game that can help you win a game to me is not performed the way it should be like it used to be. Um, that's the one thing I don't like about it. Um, you know, I do think that the teams that make it to the World Series and win the World Series, they are probably your most fundamentally sound teams as far as defense 
base running, uh, you know, hitting situations, moving runners, getting them in from third. Those teams are always – they perform at a high level on the fundamental side. But I think as a whole in the game today at the professional level, and I'm even seeing it in travel ball from high school down, there's just no emphasis on, you know, fundamentals and team, um, which I think go a long way when you're trying to win the ultimate goal, which is the championship. Wes, let me ask you, you, know, so you really touched on something big, and, and it's an observation I've had in recent years when I go up to spring training. I don't see guys on the field. No. You know, it's like they're, you know, I, you know I'm used to getting there, in, you know, very early and seeing pre-work done before, uh, you know, before stretch. And then, you know, there's like, I see guys go out, they take three ground balls, sometimes individually, and that's it. You know, and so the point where you talk about missing cutoffs and stuff, are they just not on the field practicing to go to review it or – are they just everyone does their own thing? Well, I mean, it's hard to say overall. Like I said, I mean, every organization is different. But for me, like, I think one of the worst things that has happened in the sport is what they call workload management. Um, I think the individual player is going to know when he's tired. The individual player is going to know when he needs to back off. I don't need someone to tell me, you know, you can only do 10 ground balls today. You can only do this. You know, we can only be on – we're not going to be on the field today. We're going to hit the cage. I think that's more of an individual-based thing when it comes to work mode management. But how do you train your body to do the things in the game that you need them to do if you don't work on them in practice? That's my argument. And the only way you do that is to get on the field. It's to take those extra ground balls. With In Florida, we have Perry Hill. I mean, I can remember days we would be on the field in the morning doing a fundamental, team fundamental, doing our batting practice, or then doing our ground balls, then doing our batting practice, then coming off the field and Perry Hill taking a few of us to the backfield doing extra ground ball work on things, whether it be a live fungo, you know, or whatever, and then come and eat lunch, then be ready to play, you know, in the game and come in, you know, we probably weren't starting that day if we were doing that, but I remember doing that. I mean, it was just like nonstop and we never got tired. We never broke down from that. I mean, we knew that we needed to train our bodies to do those things in practice so we could do them in the game. And I think that's where it's changed now. I think guys just put, they go to the cage and do their routine. Uh, you know, they'll go out in spring training and do their ground ball routine, whatever. But I don't see guys doing that extra work or teams doing that extra work now that are going to make them better in certain categories of the game. Um, but you're right. I mean, you have to be on the field to do those things. You can't always do it in the cage. You can't always mimic things that happen in the game uh, off the field. So you have to get on the field and do it. Do you think then – do you sense that the players don't want to do it or that's how the organizations are structuring their, their routines and telling the players, this is how it's done. I think it's a combination. I think, I think organizations have definitely changed in that aspect. Um, I think, uh, I don't know for sure. I, I could probably name off a few organizations that are still kind of doing some of those old school work routines uh, I think the Atlanta Braves are one of them, and it definitely shows in the way they play the game. <laughs> yeah, um, I would say so. That should uh, be the model. <laughs> yes, and and I and I wouldn't I, and I wouldn't even name the teams that are at the top of their divisions. I mean, yeah, you know, there's uh, there's other teams, you know, Pittsburgh Pirates that aren't you know at the top of their division. I know that they still put 
you know, emphasis in the fundamentals and stuff. But honestly, I think, I think Joe, to be honest with you, I think, I don't know if the organizations are stressing it, but they're allowing it. And that's where I have a tough time. Like, you know, you, you can't allow that. I mean, these are young players. These are professional athletes. You know, they get paid a lot of money to play this game now. And, you know, you don't want to hurt them. No, but you, you are the one that is, this organization is paying these players to do their job in the game. You're not getting paid to do the job, you know, you know, in just practice, you're getting paid to do the job in the game. So the only way to do that is to have some kind of standard of how you're going to do things in practice. And the players knew that. I knew like when I played with those organizations, you know, especially Atlanta, you know, when we were in Philly with Charlie Manuel, when Joe Girardi was that year, that year in, uh, in Florida, you knew when you walked into the clubhouse in spring training, what was going to happen that day. And every single player knew that's what we were going to do. And, there was no complaining. There was no, you know, I'm not going to do that because it wasn't allowed. You weren't allowed not to do it, um, you know, because they knew what it took to develop us as to be the best players we could be, but also the best team that we could be. So I think, honestly, a lot of the fault is, and like I said, I don't know which organizations because, you know, I don't want to just say every organization because it's not that way. But they're allowing too many, like, it's just too comfortable now. Guys are getting too comfortable, you know, where we always had that saying, Jeff Conan used to always say, don't be comfortable being comfortable. And, you know, and it's true. But I think a lot of organizations now are allowing the players to kind of dictate what they want to do rather than saying, no, this is what the organizational standard is. Yeah, I mean, that's you know great, great point. And how do you get better if you don't push yourself? I mean, think yeah. about any profession. I mean, I, I just think, you know, just even as a beat writer, if, you know, I was tired and I saw my competition was still working, you had to work or you fell behind. You know, it's just, that's just life. Dave, jump in. I'm sure you want to have something to say on this. Oh, no, I, I've enjoyed that. I think Wes has a unique perspective on it because he – has, has been a part of the baseball business. Now he's a part of the business of baseball with, with Camwood Bats as well. But Wes, you brought up a great point. And if I'm misrepresenting it, just uh, correct me. But I always felt that you don't get strong. You get stronger as a baseball player by performing baseball activities. There's no supplement. Um, and you had you had the, the, the privilege of being a part of Perry Hill's six F's of fielding. Um, yes. Would, and I know we're, we're an audio show, but would you be able to talk our audience, especially our young audience, through some of those key points and, and some of the drill work that he had you guys do? Because I post them all the time. I, I love what he does. Jeff Fry and I will talk about it from time to time because he had Perry as well. But t- talk about the importance of those drills and what it meant to you as a fielder. Perry Hill, in my opinion, and now you know Ron Washington, of course, in Atlanta, the two best infield guys to ever step into pro baseball. I mean – these guys know how to bring out the best in every single infielder. Um, even the ones that don't win the gold glove, they, they make them the best fielder that they can be to help that team. And the one thing that stood out to me for Perry Hill was it was simple. There was no, you know, there was no special drills. There was no run around a cone and do this, run around a call and do that. It was make the routine play. 27 outs, no more. That's exactly what he preached to us. Make the routine play. And that's all he 
stress to us was, you know, don't allow any more outs than you can help get. Because here's the thing that people don't realize. There's so many things that go into making the routine play. You know, you're allowing your starting pitcher to go deeper in the game because he didn't have added pitcher, added pitches to his pitch count. Um, you know, you didn't allow a pitch, uh, a guy that was on first. Now he's on second. If you boot a ball, now you got first and second. Like there's so many things to look at when it comes to not making the routine play. And if you make the, if you make the sports center plays then that's icing on the cake, we're not always going to make the sports center plays, but he just in the, I mean, it was, you know, wide base hands. It was, you know, backhand back foot to the ball. It was, you know, you know, you basically, you know, everything was, you know, out front, bring it to the center body, throw to first, or out front, bring it to the center body, throw to second. There was no, like, drills to impress people, like, oh, my gosh, I'm the best infield coach in the world. We're going to do this, this, and this. No, it was just a few simple things to basically help you make every routine play that can happen at that position. And he just drilled it in you every single day. And every day we had a routine whether it be pre-BP or the ground balls during BP, um, spring training, season. I mean, from day one of the season, there's 162 games. We had a routine we did every single day. There was not a day off. And we worked on those, and it built the muscle memory in you that your feet were in position every single time. You watched the ball all the way to your glove. You brought the ball to the center of your center your body, you broke thumbs down, and you threw the ball to first base, and you followed your throw. That's all he preached to us, and and that's all we did. And everybody he's ever worked with, their fielding percentages have gone up. I and mean, in every team he's ever been with, the team fielding percentage has gone up. Complicated simplicity, right? Yes. And, uh, the, and with – and I'll pass it back on, on to Joe here, but – for our audience, all these all these kids now have swing coaches, hitting coaches, and I won't get into that maybe a little later in the podcast, but everybody seems to have some sort of hitting routine. God forbid you go to a, a day where you're not, you know, swinging, swinging the bat, uh, having an approach with, with the uh, that side of the ball, but it's just as important to have a routine as you, you impressed upon our audience with the fielding side of it too. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, hitting is what, to me, that is the one job in baseball I would just absolutely not want is to be a hitting coach in pro ball now because getting the players to listen to you, that's the, because everyone has their own coach back home. Um, they have their guy, their guy, their guy. That's what they call them. And then, you know, somebody sees you have success, then they're kind then they're like, Hey, you need to see my guy. You need to see my guy. Well, it makes it hard on the hitting coaches. Um, it makes it really hard just because, you know, they're trying to build routines for these guys. They're trying to build a team approach um, for hitting. And, you know, and I noticed when I was, you know, coaching and, you know, managing in AAA is, you know, you try to have a team philosophy at the plate. You try to have a team approach and guys were just not buying in just because, you know, it was all about what they needed to do, what they didn't do, which is fine. This game Baseball is such a game where it is individual base and team base because guys have to perform to move up levels and you have to perform in the big leagues to get paid as an individual. So I get that part, but there also is a respect factor in my opinion. Like you got to respect your coaches and that's the thing where I draw the line. Like let the coach help you. Like he's your hitting coach for a reason. Let the hitting coach work with your dude back home. Like, if it's your guy back home, hey, let me get on a phone call with him and let's talk. What have you been working on? Uh, 
maybe we can kind of mesh it together to make it work for all of us. But I don't see that happening because it is so important to have a routine in hitting. I mean, it's one of the hardest things to do in all sports. I mean, you know, you can go a few days without taking ground balls and you can go out there and perform, but you can't go a few days without hitting and go out there and expect to, you know, feel 100% at the plate. I remember coming back from the All-Star break every year, you know, we'd have a little workout either, you know, early that day before the game or we'd have it the night before, before the first game after the All-Star break. And you swing the bat and you feel like you hadn't swung a bat in six months. And, you know, so hitting is so difficult when it comes to just keeping that muscle memory, keeping those things locked in every single day. And the only way you do that is to have a routine. And to me, the most simple routine plays in the game. When I work with kids, sometimes I don't do it as much anymore. I did it more when I was helping my son's travel ball team. I always tell them this. I'm not teaching you how to hit the cage. I'm teaching you how to hit the game. I don't care what you can do off the tee, what you can do short toss. My grandmother can hit off the tee. My grandmother can hit short toss. I want you to perform in the game. So I think, you know, keeping it simple, you have staple point drills that are geared just for that player, and you keep it simple because it's already hard enough to hit. And if you make it even harder, that kid's going to lose confidence, even at the pro level and the young minor leagues and everything. It's gonna, they're going to lose confidence. So I think if you start kind of creating all kind of outside-the-box drills, this and this, it just confuses the hitter even more. And, um, you know, in our world we live in today, everybody wants to put their name on something. So you see across social media, you know, all the hitting gurus, this, this, they're just trying to put their name on something. So they're creating drill after drill after drill to try to see if it works. And uh, some of them do, and then some of them don't. I always base it on which ones are going to play in the game. That's always how I look at it. Absolutely. Joe, I'll pass back to you, Ben. Yeah, Wes, let's let's talk about something that a part of the game, I don't know, it's, it's kind of evolved, but it was a big part of when you were playing, the pinch hit aspect. You know, talk about that. Like you were saying, it's hard to hit. You were often asked and, and did quite well at it, uh, come off the bench one time a game against the best high leverage reliever the team has, usually with a game on the line. How has that aspect of the game changed? That's changed a lot. I mean, with the, with the universal DH, you know, that that has changed a lot. I know I see, you know, there's been managers pinch hit a few times late in the game for a player or something, you know, uh, maybe if it was their starter had a day off or something and they needed him to come in and get a big hit for the guy that was playing. You know, I've seen it a few times this year, but it's not happening near what it used to be. Uh, you know, especially me being a National League my whole career, we had to hit for the pitcher or vice versa. But, yeah, I mean, we always say it's kind of like the – the closer, you know, in baseball, you got to have ice in your veins. You can't, you know, you everything's riding on one at bat for you. You don't have the luxury of having four at bats and seeing pitches. I mean, it's basically you're coming from the cage or the weight room getting loose, and you're up there ready to swing. You're not up there to take pitches and see pitches and get your timing, you know, or watching this pitcher's arm slot. And like you said, Joe, we're facing guys, majority of the time back when I played, we're facing seventh, eighth, and ninth inning guys just because starters went longer. And so, therefore, you know, you're facing the guys that were, you know, the back end of the bullpen. And, you know, the back end of the bullpen is legit, no matter what team you're on. So, you know, you're getting the high velo and the top sliders, you know, either the, you know, whatever it is, the change-ups from Trevor Hoffman, whatever, and you got to – go up there ready to hit. You might get one strike, and it might be the first pitch. Um, so, you know, that's where 
I think, you know, hitters now don't have to deal with that. But the hitters now pretty much get to see a lot of pitches. They get into a routine of playing consistently, you know, and then the guys that are on the bench, majority of their bats are coming when they start a game now because they're not having to pinch hit for the pitcher. So it's definitely changed a lot. Yeah. Yeah, before we move on, I want to kind of talk about the mindset because there was um, – we had the incident or the, the comment the other day by by George Kirby of the Seattle Mariners. You may have seen it. Um, it went it went kind of viral. And I, and I have a lot of respect for George Kirby. I think he's a really, really good young pitcher. He's an all-star. But he noted that he was surprised, I'm paraphrasing, that he was in the game in the seventh inning, and that's when it kind of came apart for him. And he – and and a lot of people, and I saw a lot of ex-big leaguers, guys that you've played against, uh, um, the Houston streets of the world and stuff, they they kind of jumped on him. And I was just wondering, is it more of Kirby the Kirby himself or the way Kirby has been developed that in his mind, why am I in the game in the seventh inning? What what are your thoughts of that? That's a great question. Um, and a great not a great question, but a great uh, point to talk about because I saw it too and I saw all you know a bunch of ex-big leaguers just blowing him up and everything and yeah did I agree with it no I didn't agree that he should have said that to the media um just you know he might have thought that but you know that was probably something he probably shouldn't have just threw out there to the whole country to see um because it looks bad on him it also looks bad on the organization I think that's something needs to be handled internally if he had a problem with it he probably should have just talked to the manager or the pitching coach uh, privately about that, though. I kind of I stand on it like this. I mean, I played in the day and age where pitch counts were higher. I mean, it was well into the hundreds. Guys trained for that. Organizations developed for that. I'll never forget, you know, Roy Holiday, uh, when I, you know, up in Philly, you know, I'll never forget. He made a comment one time. He goes, I, I pitched to go 10 innings, not 9 innings. And, you know, I, I trained to go 10 innings. And I'm like thinking – Wow, and so I started researching what all he did, and, and he, he trained. He, there was no pitch count. Like, he trained his arm and not get tired. And I think in today's game, they don't look at it that way. I think that is one thing that has, you know, hurt our pitchers is everything now is max effort, max effort, max effort. So they've lowered the pitch counts because of the injuries, um, and they're not developing guys to go deep in games anymore just because, you know, they say if you get five innings in, that's like exceptional. Well, five innings wasn't anything when we played. And, you know, I came up with the Braves with, you know, Hall of Fame pitchers with Smoltz and Maddox and Glavin and all these guys. I mean, if you didn't see them pitching to the seventh or eighth inning, you thought they had a bad day. So, um, you know, now I know that Glavin and Maddox didn't throw as hard as some of these guys in today's game. But, you know, Smoltz threw hard. And I played against guys that threw hard, you know, and they still had high pitch counts and they didn't get hurt. So, I think it's uh, I think it's a mindset now that has been developing these young pitchers in the organizations. I think they know that they don't have to go much past five innings anymore. And I think if they're asked to, you know, it kind of shocks them a little bit. And I think that's what happened with him in, in Seattle. I think it shocked him that they wanted him to go back out there because he probably has not been asked to do that in the minor leagues. And here's my here's my thing, Joe. And it goes back to doing stuff on the field. If you don't ask the guys to do it in the minor leagues or develop them to do it, you can't ask them to do it in the big leagues. Um, that's the way I look at it. You have to develop these players, whether it be position players or you know, um, or pitchers. You develop them in the minor leagues to be able to do it in the big leagues. And that goes on 
playing consecutive games as a position player. I know in the minor leagues now I'm seeing across the board where, you know, certain top prospects, maybe first, second, third rounders in the organization, they play three games, they have to have a day off. And it's like, what? Like, I wanted to fight somebody if somebody told me I had to have a day off. Like, I was going to be on the field. And so I think if you say in the minor leagues with pitchers, if you're not developing their arms to be able to go into the sixth inning and the seventh inning or even the eighth inning, you can't ask them to do it in the big leagues. A position player, if you ask, you know, if you play three or four games, you get a day off. Three or four games, you get a day off. I know the minors have changed now with a day off every week. Then when you get to the big leagues, you can't ask a guy to play two, three weeks straight. I mean, you just can't. They're going to break down. They're not trained for it. Their bodies aren't ready for it. So I agree with you, Joe. I think a lot of it is – is on the uh, development and the organizations across the board now. I shouldn't really say organizations. I should say in pro ball because, like I said, you know, there are organizations that are doing it, you know, differently. So I would say in pro ball now, I don't think guys are getting developed the way they should. Uh, you know, then when they get to the big leagues, they're not, you know, they, they don't expect to do it as well. Dave, what do you think? No, I think this is a good segue into what, what Wes is doing now, too, because you, we're talking about the, the training of fielders. We talked about the training of pitchers, and we touched on it a little bit with my last question, but the, the training of hitters now, we're seeing heavy emphasis on the measurables, a launch angle, exit velocity. I joked with the, the scout that signed me. He goes, you had a negative launch angle, and I don't even know if you had an exit velocity, to be honest with you. But um, these, uh, the, the way they're training these kids now. And I just happened to be in between the shows we had today. I had to run over to Dick's Sporting Goods, a little plug for Dick's to grab some pine tar. And I was fooling around with one of the Camwood bats, the training bats, where the emphasis is on the hands. So could you talk about, uh, to our audience, a little bit about what you're seeing with hitters nowadays with the bat, the barrel drop dump, and I guess that's what they're calling it, and the launch angle emphasis, and how your training method uh, may be a little bit different with the, with the Camwood training bats and what you're teaching hitters. Yeah, um, I kind of like this is one of those things to straddle the fence on. I think measurables are great. I think it's great to kind of get a basis of what that player, how they've improved uh, from maybe the time they've got into pro ball or the time that, you know, from the time they get from A ball to double A to triple A, you know, the strength they, you know, possess, the bat speed, because, you know, X velocity comes with bat speed and strength. So I straddle the fence. I mean, I'm, I'm all for it if the organization's using it in the right ways. Uh, the thing, the problem I have with it is, say exit velocity for some reason, you know, like all these guys, you know, they hit and they go back to the back and they got their, you know, track man or rep soto iPad. And they're like, all right, my exit below on that one was, you know, 98. Well, the first thing they think of, and I've heard them say it when I was coaching was, yeah, I need to get that to like 100 or 102. What do they do? They go in the cage and start swinging harder. And that's where I draw the line. It's like, that's not how you hit. Like you, you don't just swing harder. I mean, you're 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 hitting a ball 98 to 100, and you're hitting it off of a BP pitcher. Uh, that in the game is probably going to be 105, 106 off of below. So you don't swing harder in practice to try to get the numbers up. Like I'll see guys put a ball on the tee, they'll take a leg kick and swing as hard as they can to get their exit velocity numbers up. I'm like, when are you going to swing like that in the game? Like when are you? I don't understand it. It's like the you know the out or the pitchers that are doing a lot of the arm velocity training, you know, they take a running sprint and jump and crow hop and throw the ball as hard as they can. And then they fall down afterwards almost. Uh, when are you ever going to throw a ball like that in the game? You never are. So therefore I always go back to like, look, this is not working in the game. You get stronger in the weight room. 
God-given ability, you're going to get stronger as you get older, as you become, you know, into we used to call our manly strength. Once you get to a certain age, start getting to your manly strength. All this work you put in the weight room starts to come about. You get stronger. And, you know, so therefore it's like don't force it. Uh, I don't like when players use those measurables to force the numbers to get up. I only like it when they use it as a basically a guideline of how much better they're getting if they still are training the right way. So therefore – you know, on the exit velocity, that's kind of where I stand. Um, on launch angle, I'm kind of straddle the fence on that. Yeah, you got to have a certain launch angle to hit the ball apart. You got to have a certain launch angle to hit doubles. Um, you know, yes, we want to stay on the ground as much as possible, unless it's a situation in the game that, that requires us to hit a ball, you know, on the ground to the right side or something. I mean, yeah, we don't want to consistently roll over ground balls to the, you know, shortstop or third baseman or the second baseman or first baseman. We want to have a hard line drive. We want to have a line drive with a little angle upward just a little bit. But the thing that I don't like in today's game is guys are trying to create launch angle at the start of their swing. Um, I do not like dumping the barrel. I do not like it at all. I think it does nothing but make strikeouts go up and makes foul balls go up. Um, you're not going to hit high velocity consistently if pitched correctly. Yes, there's going to be balls, you know, that you could hit probably down in the zone or that you're going to be able to hit with that barrel dump a little bit. But you're not going to hit velocity consistently if you consistently barrel dump at the start of your swing. People have to realize that you create tilt in your swing. If you swing the right way and you get into – if you get connected – and you swing, as your swing goes through the zone, your body is going to tilt. It naturally tilts. Then when we get through the ball, that's when, and our swing is out front, we have the tilt we need for launch angle. We don't have to create that launch angle at the start of our swing. It's going to naturally happen. So I think that's where hitting now has become kind of wishy-washy for me. That's why strikeouts are up. That's why, you know, um, you know, there. That's that's to me. That's just you know. There's not a lot of good that can come out of it when it. You know, I'm always based hitting off of being consistent. Hitting, you have to be consistent. So therefore, if you square two balls out of ten up, you're not consistent. If you square seven out of ten balls up, you're consistent. And a good chance if you square seven balls out of ten up, you're going to get three hits. So therefore, I'm always about consistency. So um, going back to that point. You know, I'm big on on bat path and staying through the baseball and building strength and bat speed the right way. So with the Camwood bat, which, you know, I am the CEO of, we have the hands and speed trainer. And like a 33-inch hands and speed trainer weighs 45 ounces. It's a plus 12. But all the weight is from the knob and just above the hands. There's no weight added to the barrel. So, therefore, you can control it. You can swing a 45-ounce bat like you swing a 33-ounce bat if it was inloaded. Um, and what it does, it just it just teaches you to get connected and get into the proper uh, connection. It, it teaches you to stay inside the baseball. It teaches you to have you know your bat path through the zone as long as possible, and and, and in the long run, it's going to make you stronger with the plus twelve ounces, which you know in return is going to help with exit velocity down the road. Yeah, I like that point you made with the hands because you see a lot of these YouTube hitting gurus talking about throwing the barrel at the ball. And in fact, if you even watch stuff on Tony Gwynn, there's, there's stuff going around on him now. 
you're taking the knob to the ball and that's what your, yes. your trainer does a great job of. Now, would you be, would you be okay sharing the story about your son? I, I, I read about it. I, I think I heard you speak about it before, but his journey developing that man strength and what was being asked of him before he had it. And then the use of actually the Camwood bats to help him uh, develop power the right way. Yeah. I mean, you know, my son, Wesley, he committed to Auburn as a ninth grader to go play. And this was, you know, pre COVID, this was back when, you know, things were done a little differently in college. There was no transfer portal, really. There was no NIL deals or anything like that. Well, once he graduated, you know, he fell into the COVID numbers, which guys had a fifth year they could come back. I mean, I think in the, his first fall as a freshman, there was like 55 guys there and at Auburn. You know, they only have 30-something on the team. So it didn't used to be that way. And now – and then – so he redshirted his first year. Which was which was going to happen? Um, they had an older team, um, you know, and everything. So they did that, and you know that was the year they went to the College World Series um, that year. So they had a really good team. Um, and then last fall in '22, he went back and he hit 398 in the fall. He had a great fall, uh, played well defensively, and showed them everything that that you know they wanted. Well, they had their exit meetings. You know, after Thanksgiving, or right before Thanksgiving. Uh, and, you know, the coaching staff basically told Wesley, said, look, you're one of the most consistent hitters out here, but we're looking for guys that can end the game on one swing. And, you know, Wesley, the first, first thought was, what? Like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, so he did you know, Wesley's a great kid. He didn't say anything, this and this, he, you know, and they're like, look, go talk to your dad. I know you want to talk to your dad about it and see what you want to do, you know. But, you know, we probably recommend you maybe trying to transfer to JUCO so you can play next year and stuff like that. Well, he called me and told me. And, of course, my first thought was, what? Wait a minute. They told you they want guys to end the game on one swing. He's like, yes. I said, all right. That's not the way you hit. I mean, you know, not every you can't create a lineup of nine guys that everybody can hit in the game on one swing in college. So, therefore, I'm like, look, we're going to get you to JUCO. So, you know, I made some phone calls for him and – uh you know, Shelton State, Bobby Sproul, he's been out forever, legendary JUCO coach. He's He wanted Wesley right away. He didn't even have to see him. He's like, nope, he's here, scholarship, boom, boom, boom. And so he went there, uh, you know, got there in January and just fit right in. Um, him and another kid that transferred in from Troy uh, were the three and four hole hitters last year. And, you know, of course, as a team, they went to the JUCO World Series last year. Uh, so it was a phenomenal year for the team and for the experience for Wesley to be there. But funny story, uh, we were at the first game in February, and it was in the uh, bottom of the ninth inning, and um, it was two outs, and it was bases loaded, and he had a 1-1 count, and and he hit a walk-off grand slam. And the first thing I did was look at my wife and go, wow, he just ended the game on one swing. And so, therefore – uh, you know, that was just kind of ironic for me. And and what happened was he trained with the Camwood trainer. Uh, he trained with it when he was younger, but after the fall at Auburn last year, he came home for the Christmas break. I mean, we did it religiously five, six days a week. We trained off the tee. We trained short toss drills. You know, he probably, probably did a, probably a good 75 to hundred swings a day with that, you know, 33, 45 ounce bat. And it just helped him get stronger the right way. We did not change his swing. We didn't do anything different. He already could hit. And 
I just said, now it's just, let's just add some strength to it. And he did. And, and then last year, his power numbers went up and now he's even stronger. He's going to, you know, I'm looking for him to have even a bigger year this year. And I owe a lot to that Camwood hand and speed trainer because it built the strength he needed to gain the power, but he did it the right way. He didn't try to create the power with his changing his mechanics or dumping the barrel. He did it by just getting stronger. I hope you're stocked up because 50,000 subscribers just heard that story. and probably going to start clicking that buy button after this episode. So, <laughs> Hey, we're ready. We're, hey, we're getting ready for the holidays, so we're ready. No, no that, that's great stuff, Wes. And, and, and like you said, when, he, when the kid doesn't have to sell out for the power, it just naturally happens. You know, uh, you know, Wes, I, a couple of years ago, I took early retirement from MLB and I, and I do a lot with kids and, and, and trying to build little media companies, trying to get them more exposure. And, you know, we, we, I try to give good messages to these kids. What are, what are some of the messages you give when you're around that high school age kid or the kid that's getting, you know, a little more advanced in the, in the youth ball to what, what kind of, you know, advice do you give them? Um, Joe, that's a good thing. I, I just, uh, you know, it goes back to me, enjoy the game. I always tell kids this, like the hardest day of my career was the day I had to take the jersey off. It wasn't playing against, you know, facing Randy Johnson or Pedro Martinez or Roger Clemens. It was the day I had to take the jersey off. So enjoy the game while it lasts. Some of you, it might be you ended after your senior year in high school. Some of you get to go play in college and it's over. And then some of you get a chance to go play pro. It's going to end after pro. But enjoy the game. Have fun. Embrace your teammates. Uh, you know, just understand that you're only going to have this for so long. And, you know, and then the next one is compete. Just don't put all your eggs into, you know, just your training in the cage and the practice. Compete. No matter what anybody ever tells you, it's about playing the win. When the scoreboard is on and you got a uniform on, you're playing the game to win. You're playing for the guy beside you on your team. There's a brotherhood involved. So I'll, that's really the only thing I ever tell these kids. I don't talk about the aspects of the game to them unless, you know, I'm coaching them or something. But the thing I tell them is embrace it, enjoy it, compete, and play to win. If you do those things in any sport, you're going to get some type of reward out of it, and you're always going to have fun and enjoy it while you're doing it. I think that's a great message. Probably a good good spot to kind of wrap this up and wind it down. Uh, Wes, tell people that they can get the bat. The, the Cam so, Wood bat. Uh, website is uh, Cam Wood Bats. So C A M W O O D B A T S dot com. Cam dot com. You can go on there. We have all of our trainers. It's baseball and softball. We're not just baseball. We're softball. We're growing that big time right now. And like I said, we also have. Uh, uh, we have training bats and we have MLB approved wood game bats. So um, we also have training programs as well on the development side. So yep, if you go there, um, basically the website's an easy navigation and it'll kind of just let you know everything you need to look at on there. Sounds great. Dave, got anything last for Wes? No, yes, I think that was great, Wes. We appreciate your candidness. And as, as I said, your perspective's invaluable. You know, you played professionally, you coach professionally. Now you're on the business side of baseball with the bats and the training, uh, the training devices, and then you're also a dad. And I think all that came out. I think 50,000 subscribers got a 
got more than one episode today in this packed 45 minutes. So thank you, Wes and Joe, again, for a great show here today. Oh, appreciate oh, it. Wes, hope to have you on back at some point. You know, you have an open invite, my friend. Anytime. Yeah. Reach out to yeah. me. I love doing this. I love reaching the people out there. So, yeah, anytime. Sounds great. Again, uh, to our audience, 50,000 subscribers growing. You know, like you say, each week we're just trying to, you know, in, raise the baseball IQs of our audience. That's our mission. We're going to stay fast to that. Uh, we want to grow the game the right way. We all love baseball. We want to see this sport thrive, prosper. And um, and with, you know, the voices of the West Helms of the world, that's one way of doing it. Again, thanks to West Helms. Thanks to Dave D'Agostino. Another great episode uh, by Dave putting it together. And, um, you know, keep uh, following all our programming here on Real Voices of the Game. And I'm Joe Purcell, man on second, and we are out of here. Oh, <laughs>